From Georgia Public Broadcasting, this is On Second Thought. I'm Virginia Prescott. Last week, the FDA disclosed a criminal probe into e-cigarettes as the number of vaping-related illnesses climbed. The enforcement action dovetails with an ongoing CDC investigation into vaping-related illnesses in the U.S. 530 people with a history of vaping have been diagnosed with mysterious lung injuries. Eight people have died. Five of those cases are in Georgia, with another 10 being investigated here. Well, some states have proposed banning sales of nicotine oils and devices for minors, leading users to stockpile oils as they face what is being called the vape apocalypse. Michael Erickson is the dean of the College of Public Health at Georgia State University, former director of the Office on Smoking and Health at the CDC. Michael, great to have you back with us. Thank you, Virginia. Now, we haven't heard about a cluster of illnesses and deaths until recently. What caused the sudden increase of deaths? Well, uh, first of all, it's important to know there's an ongoing investigation, and the latest guidance from CDC is that there's no common um, explanation for the outbreak. But it appears that uh, a majority of cases have used THC, uh, the active ingredient in marijuana, uh, and that there may be a large explanation from illicit products bought on the street, black market products, um, and not knowing really what's in what you're vaping, and that's caused a lot of the problem. But it has through all of this, we have to remember it's an ongoing investigation. Right. And now a criminal probe with the FDA. So you mentioned THC. Do we have any idea of how many of these with vaping related illnesses were THC users or nicotine? Uh, that's what complicates the investigation is that a, a fair number of the cases have been doing both. So it's difficult to sort out um, the effect that may have come from vaping THC versus vaping nicotine because a lot of the um, users uh, were poly vapors, we would call them. You have a background in studying tobacco, and you have testified in huge tobacco cases, the huge tobacco settlement in the 1990s. How do e-cigs compare with traditional cigarette-related deaths? Well, only a fraction, a very small fraction, and that what makes this situation so complex. Uh, you know, 480,000 Americans die each year from smoking traditional combustible cigarettes. And now we have an outbreak of seven deaths, seven or eight deaths that are associated with vaping, with part of it uh, likely being from uh, black market illicit products and THC. So there really is no comparison because between the toll caused by smoking and the current outbreak. And at the same time, an outbreak is an outbreak and with hundreds of illnesses and handful of deaths is of great concern. Right. Earlier this month, the Trump administration did propose a ban on flavored e-cigarettes and oils. Uh, Michigan and New York already made moves to ban e-cigarettes altogether. Other states and school districts ban it for minors. Any movement here in Georgia? Not that I've heard of yet. I think uh, there, there's a myriad of actions going on both in the United States and globally that include banning flavors, but also banning e-cigarettes entirely. I understand that over the weekend, uh, India uh, decided to ban e-cigarettes entirely uh, in the country. Uh, in this country, we're not looking at that. We're looking at banning flavors, and even that is both controversial and could have some unintended consequences. Like what? My biggest fear is that if all flavors are banned in e-cigarettes, that uh, you still can get flavors in combustible cigarettes, particularly menthol. And um, my fear is, is that if you ban flavors in e-cigarettes, those people who really 
desire flavors will migrate back to smoking, uh, particularly menthol cigarettes. So my recommendation is to, in any consideration of a ban on uh, flavors that it covers both these cigarettes and combustible, combustible cigarettes. cigarettes. Now, didn't the Obama administration ban flavored cigarettes early in the, its administration? Did that have much effect? Uh, yes. Uh, banning flavors has contributed to the decline we have seen in uh, adult and teen smoking in the United States over the last few years. But it's important to note that when flavors were banned in cigarettes in the United States, it did not include menthol. And it also did not include little cigars, which have a myriad of flavors currently, and the use of them has increased during this time. So we have seen this phenomenon of stockpiling, uh, especially in Michigan and New York, where the bans have been proposed. Dozens of people have been sharing photos on Reddit. There's a vaping forum there uh, of their hall, including one Georgian posting as Kevin is cool, you know, showing many, many milliliters of vaping oils. Is banning flavored e-cigarette oils an effective tactic? Well, it uh, remains to be seen. Uh, the, again, one of the unintended consequences is that um, people who are intent on um, vaping and vaping flavored will, will secure uh, flavors through the internet or through other means and then engage in their own mixtures, which represents some concern because you have to be very careful about uh, liquid nicotine and dosage and flavors and dosage. And when people do do it yourself in the back of their house or in their basement, that introduces a whole nother level of uh, concern. Because it's the oil itself that is getting trapped in the lungs, from what I understand. Yes. I mean, there's a number of issues. I mean, nicotine itself is uh, toxic. It's used as a rat poison, uh, and the concentration matters a lot. And so if people buy quantities of liquid nicotine, that's of concern. Then they need to mix it with a solvent to uh, allow it to be vaporized. The concern now is that the solvent that's being used, which is an oil, um, it is terrible for the lungs because oils, once they're aerosolized, will congeal uh, in the lungs and cause serious problems. How about the level of nicotine? The, the, you know, of course, combustible, traditional combustible cigarettes, highly, highly uh, addictive. How about the nicotine in these kind of oils? Any difference? Well, what we've seen, as, as you mentioned, um, the nicotine in cigarettes is the ideal delivery mechanism to get nicotine in the bloodstream and to the brain as quickly as possible. And uh, efforts over the years to deliver nicotine quickly have not succeeded until Juul came along. And Juul, with their fancy device, they use nicotine salts as opposed to a, a liquid. And that's been uh, as effective as smoking and delivering high doses of nicotine. We're going to continue this conversation with Michael Erickson, Dean of the College of Public Health at Georgia State University. We'll be back after uh, we check in with our fun drive because, you know, on second thought, this is this is what we do here. It's listener supported GPB. That means your support right now really does make a big difference in our ability to provide smart and relevant programs on the air for you and your community every day and online as well. I'm Virginia Prescott reminding you that our fall fun drive is underway. If we haven't heard from you yet, make this the time you join us for the first time. You continue your support or become a GPB sustainer with a monthly contribution. Go to gpb.org or call us at 1-800-222 4788. And thanks. 
We're back with On Second Thought from GPB. I'm Virginia Prescott with Michael Erickson, Dean of the College of Public Health at Georgia State University. He played an instrumental role in shutting down the Joe Camel ad campaign and in the landmark big tobacco lawsuit back in the 1990s. And we're talking about his research on tobacco and e-cigarettes. This is in light of what the FDA has announced as a criminal probe on the heels of eight deaths and an outbreak of vaping-related illnesses. So, Michael, just to ask about the federal government role, are e-cigarettes regulated in the same way as regular or traditional combustible cigarettes? That's a great question. Um, unfortunately, traditional cigarettes are not particularly well regulated either. E-cigarettes are worse. FDA has the authority uh, granted by Congress and, and the law that passed to regulate e-cigarettes, and they are now very aggressively looking at what their options are. They've used something called enforcement discretion in the past, which means they don't have to enforce the law. They have the discretion not to do that. And now, um, because of that, they're taking it very seriously. Well, e-cigarettes have were initially marketed. We've spoken about this before, you and I, as tools to help people quit smoking. And public uh, health advocates now fear that they're getting a new generation hooked. Middle and high schoolers, you know, sewing jewels, these little devices, into their pockets or hems. An Alabama school removed doors from its school bathroom because so many kids are going into the bathroom to vape. Read something, uh, reports this weekend, everybody does it, says a kid in a middle school in Georgia. How consistent are these stats with those of traditional traditional cigarettes from the 20th century? Well, uh, when I was at CDC in the 90s, um, we had the same problem with traditional cigarettes. About a third of high school students smoked uh, combustible cigarettes, and that was of great concern, and, and those rates have plummeted over the last few decades. Now we're seeing the same uh, phenomenon with teens and e-cigarettes with almost 30% of uh, high school students uh, having vaped and using uh, products like Juul. So it really has exploded and is of great concern. Uh, and no one knows what will happen because of the power of nicotine delivery contained in uh, Juul products. Well, you mentioned that earlier, that nicotine salts are used in this. Is that because the delivery system is faster, it gets to your bloodstream faster, is it more difficult to withdraw or quit a Juul? Uh, the science yet needs to be done because it's such a new phenomenon. But uh, because of the imp nicotine impact, the um, uh, mimicking of smoking in terms of nicotine delivery, uh, we are s already seeing teens having a difficult time stopping Juul even when they want to. And that's the same phenomenon we saw uh, in the 90s with uh, Joe Camel-induced smoking among young people. Georgia lawmakers have introduced a bill to raise the legal age to buy tobacco products to 21. Smyrna has already made the move. Law goes into effect at the beginning of next year. The company behind Juul is now valued at $38 billion. Are laws like those projected going to affect sales? Uh, raising the age to 21 uh, it really is a no-brainer and uh, should be done nationally quickly, and that will help, but it won't solve the problem. Jewel's in a real uh, problem. Their, their whole business model is at risk because of their initial naivete of marketing to young people that is going to jeopardize the entire product. The criminal investigation that you mentioned was the FDA requiring Juul to release marketing documents that they haven't done yet. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I'm, I'm concerned 
were dual intended, at least uh, uh, in theory, to be a product for smokers. Um, the wrong group is using the product uh, extensively. I'm wondering about the prospect of whether those laws will pass, those kind of regulations in, in a state like Georgia, for example, you know, South traditional smoking state and also, uh, you know, uh, up to the will of the person what they want to do. Well, with tobacco control issues, that's definitely the case. Uh, tobacco tax is a good example in Georgia. It has one of the it's the third lowest in the country, because the the view it is a tobacco state. Tobacco is a cultural phenomenon. I'm concerned about farmers. Things have changed today, uh, not just in Georgia but around the country. Um, the president and the first lady in the Oval Office called for a ban on flavors. I think that's taken away some of the political resistance to being aggressive on this issue. Earlier this year, the FDA did authorize a new type of device that we could see soon. It is called ICOS. I-Q-O-S. Am I saying that properly? It was created by Philip Morris, and Atlanta will apparently become the new test market for this product. How is that different from Juul? Yes, ICOS is a product developed by Philip Morris International. It's being currently sold in 30 countries, at least 30 countries around the world. And in some of the countries, particularly in Japan and Korea, it's uh, taken a large market share. The difference between ICOS and the products we've been talking about, uh, it doesn't use nicotine oils or um, nicotine salts. It actually uses tobacco. And it heats tobacco and provides the aroma and taste of tobacco that these other products don't. And these ICOS is called heat, not burn, to differentiate it from combustible cigarettes. Because it heats the tobacco, the toxins that are associated with combustion are lower in this product. And as you say, it will be rolled out in a test market in Atlanta, ironically. So if it were up to you, Michael Erickson, what would you do? Would you let ICOS be tested? Yes. I was in favor of the test marketing of ICOS uh, and the FDA's decision to allow that to happen. They provided extensive data to the FDA. The FDA investigated it uh, in terms of um, uh, the potential benefit from it. And uh, the company is required to provide data uh, about who uses the product and its impact, it has to demonstrate a public health benefit, which means that kids don't start and adult smokers quit. And um, a, a test, a limited test market, should provide some information to answer that question. Well, to be, to be, more will be revealed. Thank you so much for your time, Michael Erickson. My pleasure. Thank you, Virginia. Michael is dean of the College of Public Health at Georgia State University. And as we head into the break, we're just going to take a couple of moments to remind you that it is your support that keeps this program and everything that you hear on GPB. That makes a difference in your life, for you, and for your entire community, and for the entire state. It is our fall fund drive, the time of year, one of two, that we ask you to do your part. Call us at one 800 222 4788, or you can go to gpb.org and click donate. And thank you so much. I'm Virginia Prescott here with Tom Barkley and Becca Hogue.
We're back with On Second Thought from GBBM Virginia Prescott. And there is, of course, a hint of fall in the air, but India Jackson is still buzzing from a remarkable summer. We spoke to the Georgia State University doctoral student and single mother just before she and her daughter left for NASA's prestigious summer internship program in Houston. Uh, as a reminder, the stars aligned for India when strangers from around the world stepped in to raise $8,000 through Gun- GoFundMe to get her there and support her dreams. India is now on the cover of the fall issue of GSU Magazine, back in the studio. Thank you so much for coming back. Thank you for having me. How was NASA? Was it everything you dreamed about and more? It definitely was. Um, it was incredibly amazing. Uh, I got a chance to tour the entire um area it, it it was just um it was just an unspeakable type of feeling you know being able to actually go into the command center and we were actually on the floor um where they make all the magic happen for the ISS station astronauts and um it was just a fantastic experience ISS International Space Station if i got that right yes in NASA terminology <laughs> how how about the fellow interns had they heard of the GoFundMe campaign which was it was definitely uh, kind of odd for me at first. Um, I was very late my first day there. I didn't know where I was going. And then when I walked in, I had several other interns walk up and shake my hand. Oh. And they were like, you know, um, we heard about you. Congratulations. And um, we look up to you. I was like, dude, we're in the same program. <laughs> you know, we shouldn't, you know. But um, all the other interns, they were fantastic. I made some lifelong connections with um, like a it was a child prodigy in my oh, really? How department. Old? He was 16. He's, he he actually goes to school here. He's from Atlanta. He goes to school in Buckhead, and he was doing all types of, like, Mark Zuckerberg coding. And I was like, this is just amazing. So the interns were fantastic. And you started to feel ill about halfway through the internship. What did, what did you learn? Uh, yeah, uh, I clearly pushed myself too far. Um, I was bleeding excessively. I found out that I had a golf ball sized fibroid Mm. in my uterus. Uh, I lost two thirds of my blood. Um, My blood count was a 4.3 when it's supposed to be 17. How were you even standing? um, I I had to, you know, um, people were depending on me. I had thousands of people all around the world who were invested in what I was doing. So I had to keep pushing forward. But thank God that my parents came along um, and I was able to go to the emergency room because I had Jewel with me. I was by myself mm-hmm. and my parents came to visit. So when I went to the emergency room, they admitted me and I ended up getting three blood transfusions. Unbelievable. You found out you had fibroids, yes. uh, as you said. This is this is an especially common thing for women who are in their 30s and 40s. African-American women are more likely to develop fibroids than white women. Mm-hmm. Having a family member increases risk. So do you have any family members who have gone through similar procedures? I have quite a few family members who have had fibroids. I have quite a few family members members who have had partial hysterectomies, um, full hysterectomies, um, everything taken out. So um, when I was bleeding excessively, it was mentioned immediately that this is probably a fibroid because it runs in the family. How much did you know about this before this experience? Um, I knew just a little bit. Um, I know that my aunt had to get a partial hysterectomy, but you know, when something's not happening to you, you don't really internalize it. Mm. So once it happened to me, that's when I started to do a lot more research on it. Um, and it's, and it's serious. It happens in more than half of women in the world. Um, and it's serious. And I don't think that it's taken serious enough. 
Well, how did NASA respond to all these health emergencies? Absolutely amazing. I was terrified that I had got sick. I was like, oh, my goodness, I'm sick. They're paying me. And they were like, your health is first. Go home. Take the time that you need. And if you're feeling up to it, then you can come back. So I went home. I came back to to Atlanta for 10 days. I let the whole world know <laughs> through social media. Um, I got myself stabilized, and I made the decision to go back um, so that I could finish my internship. I had too many people invested. I was invested. Uh, it was an opportunity of a lifetime, so I sucked it up. I got on a plane. I went back, and I finished, and I have a beautiful poster to show for it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you had – I remember when we spoke, you had about $500 left over from the Go Me- GoFundMe campaign. This mm-hmm. was after meeting your goal for expenses. Right. And you were adamant about turning those contributions <laughs> off, right? You know, you're, yes. I'm not in this to make money. I'm a scientist. Yes. Do you have any regrets now about doing that? I don't have any regrets. But what I will say is if people are offering you the help, then maybe you should consider <laughs> taking it. You know, I, I I had hundreds of people saying, you never know what will happen. You never know. I still have emails. And so you never know what will happen. Just reopen it. Just reopen it. And I wanted to stick to my convictions, but um, no regrets, but it definitely would have been a lot more help because I had to add on four more flights, yeah. you know, yeah. um, and so, plus medical expenses. You're un- uninsured. You're, uh, you don't uh, have insurance. No, I don't have any insurance right now. Um, and I tried to get into the health market at the last minute and they were like, it's closed. So mm. I was like, how are we in the best country in the world? And I can't get this taken care of. A question that a lot of people are asking. But this is a super serious medical procedure. Your parents urge you to stay home, look after your health. Mm-hmm. And you said, I got to get right back to work so you won't let donors down. We are so happy that you've made it back safely. Now you're in Georgia. But you know, India, I think people who wanted to invest in you would probably keep investing if if you were to ask. Uh, yeah, probably. <laughs> she says, slapping me down. I'm not going to ask for more. Uh, no, I'm definitely not going to ask for more. What I'm preparing for is a fellowship through NASA because they did... Um, we we have been communicating back and forth and they do want me to finish my dissertation with them. Thank God. Um, so I will be applying for a fellowship, which pays um, a pretty decent <laughs> stipend. So, um, you know, I won't be asking for any more help. And working on your dissertation. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> Are you back in the lab? Are you teaching this semester? No, I'm not teaching this semester because my department is allowing me time to rest. Thank God for Georgia State um, Physics and Astronomy Department for being so caring. Mm -hmm. Um, So they're allowing me to rest this semester. I am doing research. I will always continue to do research. But this semester, I will not be teaching labs. I will start back teaching labs next semester. And how about Jewel? She's back in school. How, How was her summer adventure? Jewel had a great time. Of course, before I got sick, but um, she made some connections down at the Boys and Girls Club. We had a fantastic time. We went to the movies. Uh, We went to the beach. My parents came down. Uh, It was a great experience for her. Uh, I felt very grateful that I was able to bring my baby with me um, for at least half the time. Because, you know, once I decided to come back, I was like, she's not going to come back with me. You know, um, I had somebody else come back with me to make sure that I was okay while I um, finished out the last five weeks. But um, my baby is... uh, 
in seventh grade now. She's at King Middle School, and hopefully she'll be playing basketball. She's 5'9". So, uh, you know, and California just passed this bill. You know, let's get her playing basketball and get some endorsements. <laughs> Atlanta native India Jackson, it's so great to see you. Thank you so much. Thank you. And you can see her. She's on the cover of GSU magazine. She's pursuing her doctorate in physics there at GSU. And you can read more about India's story in the new edition, again, of GSU magazine. You can join the conversation on our Facebook group at all times, and you can also join us. Thank you so much for listening to On Second Thought during our fall fun drive. We're taking just a couple minutes to remind you that it is your support that keeps this program and everything you hear on GPB making a difference in your life for you, your community, and your state. It's our fall fun drive that time of year when we ask you to do your part. Call us, 800-222-4788, or go to gpb.org and click Donate. I'm Virginia Prescott here with Becca Hogue. We're back with On Second Thought from GPB. I'm Virginia Prescott. GPB is gorging on music this month, inspired by Ken Burns' country music series. The station-wide initiative includes hearing country musicians from around Georgia. Carrie Harrison and Amy Cooper coasted on down to Savannah in mid-July to meet with the duo Lynn Avenue to talk about how their music has evolved and how they have grown as artists. And if I want a honky-tonk around with two or three Now baby, that's my headache, don't you worry about me Why don't you mind your own business? Mind your own business Cause if you mind your business Then you won't be minding mine I grew up with all kinds of music, truthfully Like my dad, he listened to everything from disco to... You know, Marty Robbins to Elvis, uh, Johnny Cash. We like to draw influence from a lot of artists from the 60s and 70s, Dolly Parton especially, or Loretta Lynn, or th those type of artists. I love Dolly Parton, obviously. I mean, she's unapologetically herself, and that's one of the things I think I love the most about Dolly. country music I think of stories just real life it's things that we pluck right out of our actual life and we uh, maybe embellish a little we, yeah <laughs> that's the funnest part is that it's not it's not realistic sometimes it's kind of a romanticized uh, way to tell a story I ain't never been friends with Louis Vuitton I go get the mail with my house robe on I'm a simple girl Simple lives for me. Drink a champagne on a beer money budget. Try to stay full, but there's a hole in my bucket. Got a bottle of crown. Yes, that makes me the queen. I've wanted to sing my whole life. <laughs> I I think that I used to make up songs in my head before I ever learned to play an instrument. I uh, music's always been something that I've wanted to do. I'm not even near the singer that she is, so I love to have her take on a vocal melody. And I'm not near the guitar player that he is, so he completes me. <laughs> I 
want to go out there and just knock them dead. So we really take it seriously, you know, when we perform. We, we love doing what we're doing. I mean, we're already kind of living our dream. You know, we've got fans, we travel, we play a different city all the time. You know, it's, it's great. I don't know what else you could ask for. I mean, it's, it's so awesome that we get to do this professionally. Yeah. Don't need no money, cause I got a few friends. It ain't complicated. That is the musical duo Lynn Avenue. You can check out a video for this postcard and others like it at gpb.org country. And you can find loads more content from our month-long celebration of music under the hashtag GPBLovesMusic. Besides feeding our souls, music has practical uses. The Global Village Project Middle School in Decatur, Georgia, uses music to help refugee students master the often complicated English language. Here's Elise Witt leading the school course in song. GPB's Grant Blankenship visited the school for this audio postcard. You know, this land is your land is ubiquitous, I think, in schools and around the, uh, around the country. But um, there's so many verses, and the most powerful verses don't get sung that often. And I think they're the, the most beautiful ones and the most perfect ones for our students. So, you know, one bright sunny morning in the shadow of the steeple by the relief office, there's, I saw my people. As they stood there hungry, I stood there wondering if this land was made for you and me. And then that followed immediately by nobody living can ever stop me from walking down that freedom highway. You know, our students, they've come through so much. They're coming from refugee camps, from, you know, escaping war and terror, and for them to be here in a safe place and to sing those words, um, I just think it's one of the most powerful things. It's an amazing song. Elise Witt there with the Global Village Project Choir. You can watch a video of this postcard at gbbnews.org. On Second Thought is produced by Amelia Brock, Laraven Taylor, Priya Mahadevan, and Jake Troyer. Jesse Nyswanger is our engineer. Our interns are Allison Krausman, Jessica Lowell, and Alexis Thomason. Don Smith is our dean of grammar. Amy Kiley is senior producer. I'm Virginia Prescott. Thanks so much for taking some time to listen to On Second Thought. Really, the most important member of this team is you. On Second Thought and everything that you hear on GPB is made possible when you support it. So do your part during our fall fun drive.